Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel again. Hopefully uh, that worship set uh, really stirred your heart. Uh, is anybody excited and thankful about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross? If you're a guest with us here and you don't normally go to church or it's been a decade or five years or whatever, we, we love Jesus and we try to focus on him and uh, we believe that he wants to change your life and so uh, we, just, we just talk about him a lot and he's our savior, he's our Lord and we try to honor him every single Sunday and so uh, that's what we're going to do today and so we are, we are wrapping up a series today called Celebrate and what we've been uh, talking about is this idea that, that celebration is important to our life because life is difficult, life is challenging. And uh, Jesus actually said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he, he made it very, very clear. These are actually his words. Jesus said this in John 16, 33, here on this earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. He just, he just got it right out there. He just started with it and said, here's the deal. You're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some challenges. Life is difficult. Maybe, maybe today you're going through some relationship challenges. Maybe today there's some financial difficulties. Maybe today you have someone who's sick with an illness. Maybe recently you've lost a loved one. Uh, maybe you have a rebellious teenager. Maybe you have <laughs> somebody, somebody amen to that one. <laughs> maybe you're battling an addiction of some sort um, with alcohol or drugs. But li life, can, life can, can kind of become a daily grind sometimes. And, and so we need celebration in our life because celebration brings joy. In fact, we've been looking at a quote uh, from Richard Foster in a book called Celebration of Discipline. Richard Foster simply said this, celebration brings joy into our life and joy makes us strong. We need strength for living, don't we? Do you need strength for living? I certainly do. My wife and I are trying to raise three children and they don't always cooperate and there's problems and there's difficulties and there's discipline issues, <laughs> all kinds of stuff going on, right? And so we need, we need strength for life. All that, all, through all that, we're trying to have a good marriage and keep our marriage healthy, which, which you need strength to do that, right? You need energy to do that. And so the, the, the prophet Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our, say it with me, our strength. So there's, we need joy in our life, and joy comes to us through celebration. Celebration is this thing that follows a positive event in our life. Somebody, somebody graduates or they get married or they have a child or they have a birthday or whatever it is and then we throw this celebration because we're excited about what just happened. And that brings joy into our life and joy makes us strong. And so we talked uh, in the first week about moms. We celebrated moms because you moms rock, <laughs> right? So hopefully two weeks ago you felt honored, you felt filled with joy and you left this place with some strength. Did that happen moms? If you weren't here and you're a mother on Mother's Day, man, go back and watch that podcast. I promise you it'll fill you it fill you up with some joy and give you some strength. And then last week we talked about Jesus and how his death on the cross, his blood delivered us from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And we celebrated that through communion. But did that fill you guys up with some joy and some strength? Did it? Awesome. All right. Hopefully if you missed last week, uh, so for some of you it didn't work. So maybe go back and try it again on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, my goal last week was that you would walk out of here just filled up with joy and filled up with strength in light of what Christ did for you. And so today we want to do what we want to do is celebrate one more time. We want to celebrate something called life change. Life change is what we're all about here at this church. I'll, I'll say it this way in your notes there. Jesus came to change our lives. If enough, I can make it a little bit more specific. Jesus came to change your life. Did you know that? 
that Jesus came into this world to flip your life upside down, to get inside your soul and, and alter everything and change things up for the better. Like that's his purpose and that's his mission. That's what he came to do. He didn't just come to this, to this earth to die on a cross so that you can go to heaven when you die. He did that for sure. And we're anybody thankful for that? That he forgave our sins, right? Yeah, we're thankful for that. We celebrated that last week. But he also came, he also came to change our lives right now on this side of heaven. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I've came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not, not just mediocre life, but rich and satisfying life. Life that's to the max, life to the full, life overflowing. That's what that word means. More than enough. Jesus came to bring us life that is, can only be described as, as joyful. Content, satisfying, a life of, that is fulfilling, a life where doing the right thing is normal and desirable and, and, and right and natural. Can you imagine that if, if doing the right thing was, was, was normal and desirable and natural? That's, that was his intent. And so, so when you look through the Bible, you see Jesus kind of spending time with people, changing them, offering them this life, and people receiving this life, and then their life is altered and they're never the same. After they have an interaction with Jesus. Not everybody, but many people. See, some people rejected him and left him and all that stuff. So there were, not everyone received Jesus just like in our world today. Not everybody follows him, right? But there's one particular story I love because it gives us a picture of the change. The dramatic change. It's, it's the story of Zacchaeus, little Zach. Zach was a short guy. And so when he heard that Jesus was coming past his, his, his town... He, uh, you know, his whole entourage, the whole parade there, he climbed up into a tree. And if you went to Sunday school, you learned this story. You, you know a song. And I don't know the song, so I won't sing it. But uh, he climbed up into a tree. And, so, and, and, and then when Jesus passed, Jesus stopped and he looked up at Zacchaeus and he told Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree because tonight he was going to spend, you know, he's going to be a guest in his house. And so Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree. He's all excited. He embraces Jesus, you know, joyfully, right? And, and while this all was happening, that Jesus' critics would kind of follow along and they'd be part of the parade or the entourage or whatever. And this is what the critics said to Jesus in verse 7. Watch this. But the people were displeased. This is what they said. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Now, I have to just pause for a second here. Did I just say pause? I think I just said pause. <laughs> Sometimes it slips out. I'm from New York, if you didn't know that. Anyway, uh, I want to pause really quick here. Uh, the, the, there were some people that thought that if Jesus were going to come to his house that night, that he, they would have come, that he would have come to a holy house. There were some people who thought that way. And, and today in a crowd this size, there are some people who think that way. Like, well, if Jesus came to my house tonight, it'd be a holy house. But there really, it, it, is there really such a thing? Is there really such a thing? Like, if Jesus came to your house, would he really come to a holy house? Or would he come to the house of a sinner? See, if Jesus came to my house, I'm just going to be honest, he'd be coming to a house full of sinners. Because that's who lives in our house. And I'm the biggest one of all. But Jesus had these critics who thought they had everything figured out and they were righteous and they were holy. And so they're like, how could you go to the house of a sinner? See, they thought they had it all together. And those are the people that missed Jesus. And perhaps you're here today and you've missed Jesus because you, you feel like you don't need him. Mm. 
But not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew he had a problem. See, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus knew he was a thief. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And what he would do is he would collect taxes from everybody in his region there. And then he would, you know, overcharge. And then he would pay the government what the government was owed. And then he would take the difference and he'd put it right in his pocket. And so he became very wealthy from stealing. From, and everybody knew it. And everybody didn't like, you know, they hated Zacchaeus because he was a thief. And there was nothing they could do about it. So Jesus goes to his house, and then when, when he goes to his house, something happens. Because remember earlier what I said, when Jesus enters your life, he wants to change you. That's his, that's his plan. He wants to radically alter the person that you are. So what happens is Jesus and Zacchaeus have this interaction. And listen to what Zacchaeus says in verse 8, after he has an interaction with Jesus. He says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Now this guy was extraordinarily wealthy, and he wasn't making an investment, it wasn't like he was going to get return on this. No, he was going to give it to the poor so that they could buy food and clothing and whatever the poor needed. He says, I'm going to give half my wealth to the This is the guy who was stealing from the poor before he met Jesus. Now he's giving half of his goods to, to the poor. Watch this. And if I have cheated, this is an unfortunate translation because it, the word is, doesn't mean if. It means when and where. So we could retranslate this and say, and where I have cheated because he did cheat everybody people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. Now, this is very interesting, and if you don't study the scriptures, you'll overlook something like this. So you have to not only read, but you have to study it. The law required that when somebody steals something, they pay back what they, what they stole plus a fifth, one-fifth of what they stole. Zacchaeus pays back what he owes, and then he adds four times as much, not a fifth. He supersedes the law. Why? Because Jesus changed his heart. This is a changed man, giving away half of his goods to the poor and giving back whatever he stole plus four times. Can I tell you something today? Jesus wants to change who you are in a radical way, and he wants to change me. He didn't just come to this earth to die on a cross to take you to heaven when you die. He came to totally renovate and transform the person you are right now. And the level of the change that goes, that takes place in your, in your life before you go to heaven, if you're a Christ follower, is really, is, determ is really determined by your level of surrender to his leadership. Does that make sense? The level of change that you experience on this side of heaven is determined by your level of cooperation with the Spirit in your life. But he wants to change you. That's what he wants to do. You know, Jesus knew something about the soul. He knew what you and I needed most. He knew what every single human being needed most. He would make these provocative statements sometimes. I, it's unbelievable. Sometimes I, I read the words of Jesus, I'm like, man, it's, it's just so it penetrating into, in, into my soul and my spirit. One I'll just read you one example in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. Now, his Jewish audience knew what this meant because the Jews had spent 40 years in the desert, desert eating what? What did they eat? Those of you Bible readers out there, for 40 years, what did they eat? They ate, they ate bread. Where'd the bread come from? From heaven, right? It landed on the grass every morning, brand new bread, right? So when Jesus says, I'm the bread, like they got this, right? They understood what he was, he was drawing from. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Now, it's interesting because when they ate the manna, they were hungry the next day, see? They had to eat it again and again. And then Jesus says, what? The, if you eat... The bread that I offer you, which, which is myself and my spirit, you will never 
be hungry again. And then he kind of switches to the whole thirst metaphor. He says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Do you remember when he first brought up the the thirst metaphor in John chapter 4? I talk about John chapter 4 a lot, the woman at the well. What does he say to the woman at the well? He says, she had 500 husbands, remember? And she was currently on her sixth man. She was shacking up with him. She wasn't married to him yet. And Jesus says to her, Whoever drinks the water of this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. Jesus calls himself the living water, the bread of life. What is he talking about? I mean, you read this stuff. It's like, you know, you're tempted to just kind of like, just let it go. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about your soul. He's talking about the way you were created. See, here's what human beings try to do, and the reason I know this is because I did it for, for a large part of my life. We try to satisfy soul thirst with physical things, like money or possessions or the way we look or reputation or the stuff that we own or food or some type of sexual experience or whatever. We just, we're, we're designed for satisfaction. We're designed to, to be fulfilled at the soul level, but we mistakenly think that something physical in this world that we live in can satisfy that thirst which is what was going on with the woman at the well. She, had, she was bouncing from man to man to man to man, thinking, well, the next man that I find will, will, will satisfy my soul. Jesus says, no, no, no. See, I have some water that if you drink it, it'll satisfy you in a way that you could never be satisfied by anything or with anything on this earth. So Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll never hunger again. If you, if you come to me, if you believe in me, you'll never thirst again. What does that mean? Dallas Willard, help me understand this. It literally means to, that you will no longer be driven by unsatisfied desire. You know that ache inside of you? It'll be, it'll be satisfied. It's not wrong to, to, to purchase something new or to, or to do wonderful things like, you know, get married and make love to your spouse. It's not wrong. It's not a sin. It, that, that doesn't exclude all that stuff. Or to get a new pair of shoes. I love to get a new pair of shoes. It's a lot of fun. But here's what happens. At the soul level, at the soul level, you're satisfied. And if you happen to have anything else fun and exciting going on in your life, it's icing on the cake. It's not the cake. See, the problem is we, get, we, we, we think the cake is the thing. And so we chase after shoes and sex and power and stuff and money and all. He's like, come on. That, that, that experiment has been run. I mean, come on, right? Solomon did that experiment. You know, Deion Sanders, if you remember, he did that whole experiment, chasing money, cars and women, all that stuff, and didn't say... So that whole experiment, that's been run. Jesus says, listen, I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. Come to me and you'll never thirst again and you'll never hunger again. Powerful, provocative words, don't you think? And so when you see Jesus interacting with people in the New Testament, he's, he's, he's meeting with people who they, they have become aware that they have a soul thirst and nothing in the world will satisfy it. And they were coming to him and they were sitting listening to his words. And so when Jesus would spend time with a group of these people, his critics would just, again, they would they'd say things like this in Luke chapter 5. They'd say, why are you eating and drinking with such scum? Like, these people are scummy. Like, Jesus, you know who you look out, you know where you get your friends from? The bottom of the barrel. Like, you scrape the bottom of the barrel and you hang out with those folks. What is he talking about? Why are these people scum? These are Jesus' critics. They they didn't go to temple. They they weren't church-going folks. Some of them were prostitutes. They sold their body for, for sex. Some of them were, again, tax collectors like, like Zacchaeus. These were, these were rotten people, according to the cult, you know, the religious folks. And here is Jesus hanging out with them, 
eating with them, drinking with them, having a party with them. I love Jesus' response to this, and, and if you're a guest with us here today, today this verse will, will, will kind of give you a, uh, a picture into my mind and heart and how, why we do things at this church and why we do them the way we do them. Listen to what Jesus says in response to verse 31. He says, come on guys, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Why are they sick? Because they, they've been trying to satisfy some soul thirst with some physical things. And when you do that, you get sick at the soul level, right? So, so, so I didn't come for healthy people who got it all figured out. I came for the sick people. I, don't have to, I have not come to call those who, watch this, think they are right, just because that's what the Pharisees thought. See, if Jesus were going to come to my house, he'd come to a holy house. That's what they, they thought they were righteous. No, 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 no. But rather those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. Are you, are you self-aware enough to know that you desperately need Jesus? Not, not just to, come on, not just to go to heaven. Of course you need Jesus to go to heaven and forgive your sins. But how about right now? Are you desperate? Are you self-aware enough to know that you need him today? The Pharisees didn't think so because they had it all figured out. and They, they didn't think they needed to repent. They had it all kind of worked out. But the people Jesus hung out with... They knew. They had tried. They had tried to find satisfaction in life, and they were failing and falling and tripping and stumbling. And, and so they finally found the source of abundant life and eternal life, and that was Jesus Christ himself. Another, another portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's hanging out with some folks that are just down and outers, you know, scum of the earth, bottom of the barrel. And his critics jump in again, and they say, uh, hey, what's going on? And so in, the, in response to his critics this time, he tells three stories. And if you're a church-going person, you've heard these stories for sure. He tells a story about a, a shepherd and a sheep, a woman and a lost coin, and a father with a lost son, Luke chapter 15. In each one of these stories, something extremely valuable was lost, a, she- a sheep, a coin, and a son. And, and because that thing was lost... The person, there was an all-out search going on, right? And so the shepherd leaves the 99, he goes to chase after the one. The woman sweeps the whole house because she wants to find her coin. By the way, the significance of that was that uh, back in those days, a woman would get like a head, a head piece with 10 coins on it, and she lost one of them, and that meant that it's like losing your wedding ring, similar to that. So that headdress was like a wedding ring. And so she's frantically looking for this, this coin because it's, it's so important to her. And then, of course, the son you know, with the father is extremely valuable. So he's pacing, the, he's pacing the porch back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Every day, every day looking for his son. In each story, when the sheep is found, when the coin is found, and when the son is found, there's a celebration. There's a party. Let's just look at the coin, uh, the, the coin illustration Jesus tells. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and she will say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Now again, Jesus is telling these examples of these three stories to show or to answer this critics, Why are you hanging out with the scum of the earth? And then she says this, or Jesus says this on her behalf. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. In other words, there's a party, there's rejoicing going on when one person comes back to God or comes home to God or is found by God. 
You know, the last story about the, the father and the son, it's, it's, it's an incredible story. When the son comes to his senses and he realizes, oh my gosh, I can go back to my dad's house. He's got some food. He's got some, you know, place to sleep. I don't even have to be his son. I could just be one of his hired servants. Let me go back. So he gets out of the, gets out of the slop that he's in and he starts to go back. He's got this little speech prepared to give his dad. When his father sees him on the horizon, he leaves his porch and he runs out to his son. When they finally meet up, the son starts to go into his speech Oh, Dad, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against earth. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off. Cuts his speech off. Listen to what the father says. Love, love this passage. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. He continues. And kill the calf with his, that we've been fattening. We must, say it with me, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. This is my favorite part. Watch this. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. And they started to throw a party. And the party went on and on and on and on and on. And they rejoiced, and they celebrated, and they ate, and they danced. There's a party in heaven for one sinner who repents. In your notes, the way I wrote it is this. <clears throat> people being found is worthy of a celebration because people matter to God. They do. They do. That's why Jesus was hanging out with these people who were the scum of the earth. Because people matter to God. You say, but they were terrible people. I know, everybody's terrible. Listen, everybody's terrible. If you hung out with me, I'll just give you an example. I'll just throw myself under the bus here for a second. If you hung out with me, like tight... Like my wife hangs out with me. It's just a matter of time before you would look at me and say, you're annoying. <laughs> you're demanding. You're inflexible. You're selfish. Now, you might not say that about me because you don't run with me 24-7 like my wife does. But if my wife were here and she'll be here the second service, she would testify. Yeah. It's hard to be around him sometimes. Why is that? Because we're all terrible at some level. Some of us are worse than others. I get that. I understand that. But here's what's crazy. Even though I have major flaws in my character and I can just be annoying sometimes, God still loves me. And I'm thankful my wife still loves me. <laughs> And I matter to God. And Jesus died for me, even though I'm terrible. And so are you. And so when I look at you, I, I could honestly say, if I hung out with you, I would be annoyed with you after a while. I would. I would. I wouldn't like being around you at sometimes. Why? Because you're human. But you still matter to me deeply. Because you matter to God. Every single human being walking this planet matters to God. And that's why Jesus was hanging out with the people that everybody else was annoyed with or looked down upon or oh, scum people. People matter to God. And even when one comes back to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. Is that crazy or what? I just love it. That's just, that's just God, isn't it? 
looks at us with all of our warts and failures and sins and defects and problems, and he says, my position towards you is love. Man, if that doesn't warm your heart, I don't know what, I don't know what will. Now, the way we celebrate that around here, because it's been happening, people have been coming home to God like crazy, like 20, 25 people every single week. You know, since January, over 400 people have come home to Jesus and put their faith in him. Is that exciting or what? <laughs> over all three campuses. And the way we celebrate that is through baptism, because baptism is a great picture of the change that Jesus wants to make in our lives. See, baptism is a symbol. It's a picture of, of a person who's, who's dying to their old way of life, their old way of doing things, and they're coming up symbolically washed by the water into a brand new existence, a brand new life, a brand new purpose, a brand new master, a brand new identity. It's a beautiful picture of, of the change that Jesus wants to make in our lives. In fact, the change that, that baptism is supposed to, you know, represent or symbolize is captured in Ephesians chapter 4. This is an incredible passage. I love it. If you haven't spent time in Ephesians 4, please do. This comes from the mouth of Paul. This is the change that Jesus wants to make in every single one of our lives. Watch this. Since you have heard about Jesus, have you heard about Jesus, right? He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's died for your sins. Put your faith in him. Paul says, since, since you got all that worked out and you've learned the truth that comes from him, that eternal life is found in Christ, the abundant life is found in Christ, since you've done that, watch this, throw off your old sinful nature and the former way of life. If you used to lie, stop lying. If you used to lust and cheat on your spouse, stop cheating on your spouse. If you used to manipulate people to get your way, stop doing that. If you used to be wrapped up in jealousy and, and, and just, you know, envy, you got to put that away. If you had unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, get rid of it. You see what he's saying here? Everything that's not like Jesus has got to go. That's some serious radical change, don't you think? That's exciting. He wa Jesus wants to renovate your whole entire inner being, your whole soul. He wants to change it. And get rid of this old sinful nature, your former way of living. If you've been, if you've been impatient, you got to get rid of it. He wants to make you different, right? If you've been an angry person, anger's got to go, right? If you've been greedy, greed's got to go out of here. Anybody excited about that? It doesn't stop there. Not only does he want us to get rid of, by the way, baptism represents getting rid of that old nature, right? It's the, when a person goes under the water, there's a death, there's a burial of that sinful nature. That's what, that's what it represents. But watch this, next part. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your, say it with me, new nature, which is created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Baptism, when the second part of baptism, when a person comes up, they're putting on that new nature symbolically. They are cleansed. They are washed. They are holy. They are righteous, just like Jesus. What does Jesus want to do to you? He wants to make you into a little Jesus. Did you know that? That's exactly what he wants to do. A little manifestation of who he is, his character, his will. And so we, we celebrate life change through baptism. The only problem is, and it really isn't a problem, it's just a clarification. The only problem is, is that baptism doesn't do anything. It doesn't change you. I wish it did. Wouldn't that be cool? If I'd get baptized every week because I got stuff that needs to go, right? And say, hey, somebody baptized me. I want to go in the water. <laughs> Just ask my wife about all the stupid, stupid stuff I did this week, right? 
the anger or the impatience or the, 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 the controlling nature that's inside of me that's got to go. I wish baptism would change us. But it doesn't. All it does is represent the change that's supposed to take place. See, it's like this wedding ring. I'll go back to my wedding ring. I wish that this wedding ring had a Frodo effect. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you put it on, you become a great husband. Woo. You know, empathetic, listening, gentle, serving, preferring. Tell me how your day was, honey. Have I told you how beautiful you look today? You're wonderful. Great mother. You know, I wish that it had that effect, but it doesn't. All it does is represent the fact that I'm married. If I want to be a good husband, I got to do some other stuff, don't I? I got to learn some skills. I got to apply myself. Baptism, the problem with baptism is that it's a ritual. It's a symbol. It doesn't do anything. So if I want to change, if I want to do what Paul's talking about here and put off the old nature and put on the new nature, I've got to, I've got to engage in a, a very intentional spiritual formation process filled with spiritual practices. And I, I'm, I'm crazy about this because it's the only way to change. What am I talking about? I'm talking about in planning your day around spiritual practices that will transform your life. What is a spiritual practice? Any activity that will empower you to do what you currently cannot do in your own strength. Let me say that again. It's a little wordy. A spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice is any activity that you engage in that, engage in that empowers you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. So if you, don't have, if you say, I can't forgive her. I know, I know, I know. I know, because of what he did or she did. So what you need is to engage in a spiritual practice that empowers you to forgive that person. You need God's help. You need God's assistance. You need to train in forgiveness if you want to forgive, like Jesus forgave, see? You say, well, I got a problem with, with uh, you know, anger. And I can't, I can't, I can't help it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just one of those angry people. Look, I know, I know. Yeah, and I know a lot of them. <laughs> So I can't, I can't get rid of it. Yes, you can. You just have to create some practices in your life that are going to empower you to do what you cannot currently do in your own strength. See that? And so a spiritual discipline like silence or solitude or fasting or meditation or confession of sin or getting in the community of a small group. or there's, there's hundreds of spiritual practices you can engage in. That's what changes our life. When we renew the spirit, when we're renewed in the spirit of our mind and our attitude and we change the way we think, we begin to change our lives. And when we do that, when we do that, when we engage in spiritual practices, the end result, it's beautiful. And it takes a long time. It takes a long time. But the end result is you begin to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. Let me say that again. The end result is that you begin to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. Can you imagine that? Why? Because you've, you've, your spirit is being formed to be like his. You've engaged in those spiritual practices. Dallas Willard said it this way, spiritual formation is no passive process. It takes you and I engaging in spiritual practices in order to be changed. But you begin to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine responding to your spouse and your children and the problems at work or the headaches over here or wherever it is? Can you imagine acting and responding the way Jesus would in all situations of life? That is the change he wants to create in you. And it's beautiful. And the end result is that you're kind when you need to be kind. And you're not forcing it. It's just natural. You're pure in your mind when you need to be pure in your mind. Because, and you're not forcing it. It's just natural. You just have pure thoughts. Or 
You know, you're giving when you need to be giving, and you're generous when you need to be generous, and you're not, you're not doing it, you're not forcing it, you just are, because Jesus' spirit has been formed inside of you, and he's generous, and so his generosity flows out of you. See what I'm talking This is radical change. I wish, I wish we could just baptize you and make it happen. I'd line all of you up. It's everybody get in a line over here. Just, just, we'll just baptize everybody today. Make you like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. The baptism is just a picture of the change that Jesus wants to create in you, putting off that former way of life and putting on that new life. And so today we're going to baptize some folks, but I don't want you to get too excited. I want you to get excited. I want you to celebrate. But just remember that the baptism is the first step in a direction of putting off that old person and putting on that new person with an intentional spiritual growth plan of spiritual practices. Does that make sense? So we're going to baptize some folks, and we are going to celebrate with them. And I want right now, uh, I want you to see a short video. These are actually some statements that people have made, actual people who have taken this next step of baptism in their life. Watch this video, and then we're going to baptize some folks, and I'll, ch- I'll come up and close this out. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. 
whoever is hungry, come to me, and you'll never hunger again. Believe in me, and you'll never thirst again. There's some of you here today, you've been running after all kinds of stuff, trying to find satisfaction for your soul, and I relate to that. I did the same thing. I ran after satisfaction through sports, through the opposite sex, through partying, alcohol. In fact, when I was, when I was around 17 or so, I would go to this bar. They would let teenagers in. It was stupid. And I would get drunk with my buddies at this bar on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Just trying to find, you know, that sense of, okay, what is life about? Maybe it's, maybe it's just getting drunk and maybe it's just having fun and maybe it's just hooking up or whatever. So I went 100 miles an hour in that direction. Sometimes when I was at the bar, you know, when you drink a lot, you have to go to the bathroom a lot. <laughs> so I'd often go to the bathroom in the bar and in this dingy, nasty bar, I'd look in the mirror sometimes and this just, I just remember this vividly. I'd look into the mirror and look in my eyes, and sometimes it'd be just red bloodshot. And I, I would hear, and I, now I know it was Jesus, but I didn't know it at that time, but I would hear a voice say to me, are you happy yet? And I knew the answer was no. I was drunk, I was with my buddies, I was doing what everybody else said was, was, was where life was found, and I, but I knew, I just knew when that voice would come into my head, I knew the answer was no, but I didn't know what else to do, so I'd go back and drink another one and get even more drunk, just, try to, just trying to find that happiness. And maybe, maybe you've had that experience, maybe you have it. Maybe it's not with alcohol or maybe it's with something else, maybe it's with money and just, well, if the, if the next deal, the next $10,000 or the next five fifty, dollars maybe, maybe it's another woman or another man, it's like the next person, maybe that will do it. Maybe if I have a baby, that will do it. Maybe if I get a promotion, that will do it. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. They're going to work. You have to come to me. Your soul was meant to be satisfied by something spiritual, someone spiritual, not something physical. And so perhaps today you, you take that step like I did when I was... 18, 17 and a half. And you put your faith in Christ and let him satisfy you at the soul level. See, here's the deal. Christ died for your sins. To wash away your sins, to take away the penalty of sin and death. To take you to heaven when you die. But he also, he also came to deliver real life to you. Life the way it was meant to be lived. And if you feel a strange drawing or pulling right now towards what I'm saying, that's God. I felt it too. And what he's doing, he's drawing you into himself. Place your faith in Christ for eternal life and abundant life. If you'd like to accept the gift right now that Jesus offers of life, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. And simply reach out to him in faith. And pray this simple prayer. I'll lay the words out for you. You take the words and you pray them to Jesus yourself. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I have been running and going and seeking happiness in all the wrong places. I choose today 
to take the living bread, the bread of life, the living water that satisfies at the soul level. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me to wash away all my sin. Cleanse me right now. Forgive me. And make me your child in this very moment as I reach out to you in faith. Satisfy my soul at the deepest level so that I will no longer be driven by unsatisfied desire. Help my life from this day forward to honor you and to bring a smile to your face. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, what that means is that you become a child of God. Christ has forgiven of your sins, forgiven you of your sins. He's come to take up residence inside of your soul. And as I've said earlier about change, Jesus wants to change your life. It's what he wants to do. And the level of change that occurs in our life is connected to or is determined by the level of surrender that we give to him and by the level of spiritual practices we put into our life. And so I want to get you started today with a spiritual practice of reading the scriptures on on a daily basis. That is a spiritual practice. I read these passages in this book every single morning. Read it this morning again before coming over here to church. We would, if you pray to receive Christ today, we want to give you one of these Bibles to begin uh, your spiritual practices. There's tables back here to my left and to my right, and uh, there's just little passages in here that, that go along with today's date. You can read that passage. It takes about five minutes, and you get in the pattern of, of, of reading the scriptures and taking the scriptures into your mind. Can we give God glory today for what he's doing? Can we celebrate? It is a joy to be caught up in what God is doing and to be your pastor. I hope this series has filled your life with joy and by default give you strength for living, right? Celebration brings joy into our life and joy makes us strong. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment and then I want to tell you a little bit about the next series. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series called Celebrate. Help us to celebrate more in our lives, life change and the fact that you died on the cross for us and the fact that our mothers and, and are, are wonderful. God, help us to celebrate not just those things, but all of the wonderful things you've done for us so that our lives can be filled with joy and strength to face into our issues and struggles. We'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week we are starting a brand new series called Go First. We have never done a series on leadership before. I am so excited about it. So you're going to come. It's a four-week series. And I want you to bring your friends and be prepared to hear some stuff that's really going to take your life to the next level. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend. Good, good, good